0: Can you find me? I'm here. Behind you, look. Ah! Oh, behind you. Lord of my heart, God. Damn, this is some scary shit. Oh, I am scared! Don't be scared. I just want to play a game with you. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of This Some Scary Shit. I'm your host, Donnie K. So I'm just going to go jump right into this next episode. Um, It's kind of sad and kind of messed up. Um, But I don't want to waste too much time. Let's go ahead and get into it. When I say today's story is sad let me introduce y'all to a man named John Wayne Glover. He was born on November 26, 1932, into a working class family in Wolverhampton, England. He was convicted of numerous petty offenses, including stealing clothes and purses. And this began in 1947, so he was about 15 years old. When these were uncovered, he was immediately expelled from the British service, which is the British military. In 1956, at the age of 24, he traveled to Australia where he stayed in Melbourne for the first several years and then he ended up becoming a naturalized Australian citizen. Shortly after moving, his crimes continued and he was convicted on two counts of larceny in Victoria and a stealing charge in New South Wales. In 1962, he was convicted of two counts of assaulting women in Melbourne and two counts of indecent assault and one count of assault occasioning actual bodily harm, and another four counts of larceny. For this, he was sentenced to a three-year good behavior bond. Whatever. (laughs) John Glover was also a volunteer at the Senior Citizen Society before he started his killings in the late 1980s. So I'm just going to assume that he thought that if he does these good deeds and is a volunteer, he can just wash his sins away like... Sir, if you don't sit your ass down. He was known among his acquaintances as a pleasant and trustworthy man. See, that's how it start. That's exactly how it start. They start off nice and sweet. They gain your trust. And then they chop your ass up. He was happily married with two daughters. And he resided in Mossman. Glover worked for the 4 and 20 meat pie firm as a sales rep. When he married and moved into his parent in law's house uh, in Mossman, Sydney, he had a tumultuous relationship with older women, particularly his mother, Frida, who had multiple spouses in many parts. Honestly, that ain't nobody's business but hers. Like, I don't even know why they had to mention that. Well, hell, I don't even know why I mentioned it. That's not our business. If she wanted to be a city girl, let, let Mama be a city girl, okay? And after 1968 he started having a bad relationship with his mother-in-law so Glover's mom eventually immigrated to Australia with him in 1976 but unfortunately she died in 1989 from breast cancer Glover himself was diagnosed with male breast cancer yes men can get breast cancer it's not common though but men can get titty cancer okay So Glover was also diagnosed with male breast cancer later that same year, and that happy marriage that he had quickly turned sour, and he and his wife divorced, and she took the girls and packed up and moved their ass to New Zealand. I don't blame her. So this ended up being, 1989 ended up being like a tough year for Glover, so like everything was just going downhill. And it probably was his own misfortune that caused him to start his killings not an excuse but you know during his pre-murder phase an 84 year old woman named margaret todd hunter was strolling down hill road in mossman on january 11 1989 she was approached by glover he walked to the victim after parking his car and hit todd hunter in the face and snatched her pocketbook that contained about 209 usd Glover then spent Mrs. Todd Hunter's money at the Mossman RSL Club, which is now the Mossman Club. It's pretty much a, uh, I don't want to say a country club, but uh, it's like a Dave and Busters for the rich and famous, I guess. Um, If I'm wrong and you're listening to this, please correct me. But um, the crime was determined to be a mugging by investigating officers who had little possibility of apprehending the culprit. I don't know how he didn't get caught because... If I was that old lady, I would have been like, "Yep, he had this on. This is what he looked like. But considering that she is probably old and not able to like see well, she probably couldn't you know, describe the person. Or it was just probably too dark. So, his first real victim was a woman named Gwendolyn Mitchell Hill. First of all, the spelling of her name is fire. She spells her first name G W E N D O. L I N, Gwendolyn. And Glover observed, she was 82 years old. Glover observed the woman strolling down Military Road on March 1st, 1989, as he was leaving the Mossman Club. Glover got back in his car and slung a hammer around his waist. He followed Mitchell Hill to the lobby of her apartment complex on Military Road. He smacked her on the back of the head with the hammer as she attempted to open the front door. He continued to strike her in the head and body and breaking several of his rib, of her ribs. Glover ran away with her pocketbook, which contained about $100. Mitchell Hill was still alive when two schoolboys discover, discovered her, but unfortunately she died shortly after police and ambulance arrived. The authorities had no eyewitnesses or leads, and there was no clear evidence linking this incident to Margaret Todd Hunter's earlier attack there was no forensic evidence either because well-intentioned neighbors had scrubbed the crime scene believing she had simply fall fallen the cops assumed it was another attempted mugging gone bad that's so sad because i mean i get it like no he he did that so smooth like there was nobody around he i'm pretty sure there weren't any like security cameras around during this time and he just literally walked up and killed her she she couldn't even see him and then People literally thought that she just fell. She must have fell, but how, like, well, how did she fall? Like they couldn't investigate, like, how could she fall? She, she's not sick. I guess that she's ill, but if she made it to her front door, then what the hell? So Glover was strolling down Military Road on May 9th, 1989, when he noticed his second victim, 84 year old Lady Ashton, who is the widow of artist Sir William Ashton, approaching him. She was on her way home to Raglan Street, which was close by. Glover donned gloves and followed her into her apartment's entryway, where he assaulted her with his hammer. He then flung her to the ground and pulled her into a trash bin at Clove, repeatedly hitting her in the head with the pavement. Oh, my God. Glover remembered her nearly overpowering him until he fell on top of her and began to bash her head on the concrete. He then removed her pantyhose and strangled her after she was knocked unconscious. Lady came, Lady Ashton's walking stick and shoes were placed at her feet. He then walked away with her $100 purse. Glover made his way to the Mossman Club and... Where he told the staff that the sirens outside weren't for another mugging. You if it's one thing men have it's the audacity. My god, like <laughs> Okay. Lady Ashton was discovered face down diagonally across the concrete floor of the small garbage alcove by the cops. Her head was surrounded by a pool of blood. The pantyhose around her neck were so tight that that they pierced through her skin. Her arms were by her sides and her bare legs were crossed. A small trickle of blood was dripping from her mouth. The police realized they were dealing with a serial killer at this time. To date, all three victims were affluent older women from the same neighborhood who were all assaulted or killed in the same manner before having their handbags stolen. A post-mortem examination revealed no evidence of sperm, so he did not sexually assault these women. The ligature mark around their necks was 9 centimeters. I'm sorry, her neck was 9 centimeters her nose and temples, as well as her neck and both eyes, were bruised. She bit her lips at some point during the struggle, inflicting damage to the inner, lipping of her, inner lining of her mouth. A wound on her cheek was an open cut with a minor, semicircular abrasion a few centimeters away. The victim's diamond ring was still present, indicating that she had not been murdered for money, according to the examiner. There were a few more attacks on women that Glover committed.
1: He molested a 77
0: year old Marjorie Mosley at the Wesley Gardens retirement home in Belrose on June 6, 1989. The girl told hospital staff and police that a guy had put his hand behind her, but put his hand beneath her nightgown, but she couldn't recall who he was or what he looked like. Glover paid a visit to the Caroline Chisholm Nursing Home in Lane Cove on Jan- June twenty fourth, nineteen eighty nine, and fondled the ash cheeks of an elderly resident. He put his fingers down the front of another patient's nightdress and caressed her breast in a nearby room. What the what the hell was he on? What is it? Crack? Like this is this is. Weird. It's it's weird, okay? So Glover was briefly questioned by hospital staff before fleeing after the woman called out for aid. He assaulted the elderly Effie Carney in a back street of Linfield on Sydney's upper north shore on August eighth, nineteen eighty nine. So these women previously were they weren't killed, but they were just assaulted. So on October 6th, he pretended to be a doctor and ran his hand up Phyllis McNeil's dress at the Winbanea Wimb- Nursing Home in Neutral Bay's lower North Shore district. When McNeil, who was blind, requested assistance, Glover fled. Glover was allegedly never suspected or identified as a perpetrator of the molestations at the time. Glover followed an 86-year-old widow, Doris Cox, to her retirement residence in, on Spit Road in Mossman on October 18, 1989. He attacked her in the front of the house's secluded stairs, forcing her face against a brick wall where she fell. She miraculously, she miraculously survived the attack. But owing to her dementia, she was unable to provide a precise description or recollection of events. According to her, the attacker attacker was a young man, either a teenager or a skateboarder. She gave police an identikit drawing, but before detectives arrived, the site was wiped down by neighbors. What is up with the neighbors cleaning the crime scene? And why are the police not telling you know the public don't clean the crime scene like that's not their job like why what is what is going on like y'all could have had this lady uh assault avenged but no y'all had to go scrub the ground <laughs> anyway glover approached a 78 year old lane cove home lane cove homeowner dorothy benike I'm sorry, as she walked home in a quiet back street just off Longueville Road on November 2nd, 1989. This is about 10 kilometers from Mossman. Glover then struck up a conversation with her and volunteered to deliver her groceries home. Hmm. Ben Key welcomed him in for a cup of tea at her house. Glover declined the tea, but on his way back down the laneway to the main street, He assaulted another elderly woman from behind. Margaret Pod, an 85-year-old widow, who was also on her way home from grocery shopping, was the next victim of the granny killer, according to the police. He whacked her in the back of the head with a blunt instrument, then struck her on the side of the head as she fainted. Glover fixed her clothes, shoes, and walking stick before leaving with her handbag. Nobody observed the attack, the attack this time, but her body was discovered by a young student who initially mistook her for a pile of garments discarded in the laneway. The crime site was once again cleaned down by neighbors. Glover rummaged through pods, pod, pod hoods or pods pocketbook on the grounds of a local golf club while the police and paramedics were on their way. He then went to the Mossman RSL club to spend the $300 he had stolen from P.O.D. once more. On November 3rd, less than 24 hours after the P.O.D. murdered, 81-year-old Olive Cleveland became the fourth lady killed by the so-called Granny Killer. Glover struck up a discussion with Cleveland while sitting on a bench outside the Wesley Gardens Retirement Village in Billrose where she lived. When Olive got up to walk to the main building because she was uncomfortable, Glover grabbed her from behind and forced her down a ramp into a quiet side lane. Before removing her pantyhose and tying them tightly around her neck, he struck her and repeatedly shoved her head against the concrete. Glover fixed her clothes, shoes, and walking stick once more before leaving with $60 in her handbag. The elderly woman's injuries were initially attributed to a heavy fall and the crime scene was down again there were no eyewitnesses on the scene the incentive was soon upped to two hundred thousand dollars by the state government at this point i feel like the neighbors i ain't i ain't gonna say this but i'm gonna say it the neighbors have to know something because why why after every crime the crime scene is wiped down like i'm not understanding like that's illegal as hell what the what the hell Glover was seated in the Buena Vista Hotel in Middlehead Road on uh, Mossman on November 23rd, 1989, when he noticed Muriel Faulkner, a 93 year old widow, strolling across the street. She was returning home with her shopping. I believe Muriel was the oldest woman that he attacked. So Glover went back to his car, which was parked across from the police station, to get his hammer and gloves. He bold. He bold. Oh, my God. He's so bold. Falconer led him to the front of her house on Muston Street. While the partially deaf and blind Falconer opened her front door, he silently moved up behind her, put his palm over her mouth to quiet screams before repeatedly slamming his hammer into her head and neck. Glover began removing Falconer's pantyhose as soon as she dropped to the floor she began to recover consciousness and called out for aid as he, as he did so. Glover responded by repeatedly hitting her with the hammer until she passed out. He stripped her of her underwear and strangled her with them. After rearranging her shoes, he checked her pocketbook in the rest of her house for valuables before leaving with $100. The body was discovered the next day by a neighbor who had entered the house using a spare key. Fortunately for the the detectives, the murder scene was not tampered with, and forensic evidence such as bloody shoe prints were obtained. Police were now focusing their efforts on a person described as middle-aged, portly, and gray-haired by a neighbor, i.e. someone who would fit in easily in the Mossman area. By Christmas, the reward increased to $250,000. Glover went on a pie sales round at the Greenwich, Greenwich Hospital in River Road, Greenwich on I'm sorry, Greenwich Hospital in River Road on January 11th, 1990. He was dressed in his work attire and carrying a clipboard when he entered the hospital's palliative care ward which housed four elderly and sick women, including Daisy Roberts, an 82-year-old advanced cancer patient. Glover questioned whether she was losing any body heat before pulling up her nightgown and inappropriately touching her. When Roberts became distressed and called for assistance, a hospital sister discovered Glover in the ward. He fled the ward when confronted, but this sister was able to record his car's registration and number, car registration number, and alert the authorities. Glover, who was known for his pie rounds, was identified and named by the medical personnel. Sister Davis and Mrs. Roberts positively identified Glover in a photograph supplied by the police a week later. Despite the fact that this was a big breakthrough, the hospital attacks were not linked to the killings for three weeks and were not reported to the murder task force. Detectives from Chatswood police station contacted Glover's employers and established his identity Glover was contacted by detectives and asked to come in for an interview the next day at the station Glover's wife alerted the police that he had attempted suicide by overdose and was recovering at the Royal North Shore Hospital when he failed to show so I'm assuming he remarried um I didn't see anything in the research that he must have remarried or maybe this is his first wife I don't know Glover was taken to the hospital by police, but he refused to be interviewed. But he did allow them to photograph him. Staff at the hospital handed police a note scribbled by Glover in the center of a page, on t- four and twenty pies business paper, with the phrases "nor more no more grannies," "grannies," and "essie." Glover's mother-in-law began it in the middle of the page. The suicide note and photo were sent on to the task force, now numbering over 70 people. Two weeks later, and detectives quickly assumed Glover was the killer, despite the lack of evidence. According to the chief of the detective task force, he says, we wouldn't have been able to show anything if he had responded. I don't want to talk. Nonetheless, the photo matched the specifications of the gray-haired suspect. And Glover might have been at any of the murder places in his employment as a pie salesperson. So Glover was questioned about the nursing home assaults and flatly denied all charges. Of course, of course, he's going to deny that man trying to stay out of jail and continue what the hell he was doing. He goes, due to a lack of proof, I'm sorry, detectives opted not to question him about the murders, which would have revealed the police suspicions to Glover. Glover was subjected to regular police observation, including the use of an automatic tracking device at one point. Glover would spin the block several times to make sure he wasn't being followed or drive the wrong way drive the wrong way up a one way street. In Beauty Point Mossman on march 19, nineteen ninety, John Glover killed his sixth and final victim, sixty year old divorcee Joan Sinclair. That name is so uppity, Joan Sinclair with whom he had a friendly relationship with. Police had Glover under continual observation at this point and they watched as Sinclair let Glover inside her home around 10 a.m. There was no trace of Glover or movement inside the residence by 1 p.m. Around 5 p.m., police and the surveillance team became anxious and obtained permission to visit the house at 6 p.m. The two uniformed police officers knocked on the front door but received no response and spotted a hammer lying in a pool of dry blood on a mat through the back glass door. Sinclair's smashed skull was discovered wrapped in a bundle of blood-soaked towels after four detectives investigated the premises. Her pantyhose were tied around her neck and she was naked from the waist down. Glover would later deny raping her, despite the fact that her genitals had been harmed they searched the residence for Glover, who was found unconscious in the filled bathtub after uncovering Sinclair's body. Glover eventually admitted to authorities that he murdered Joan Sinclair and that they had been dating for some time. Sir, He claimed he smacked her in the head with his hammer, then took off her pantyhose and strangled her with them. Glover rolled the body onto a mat, wrapped four towels around her extensive head wounds to stop the bleeding then dragged her body across the room, creating a blood trail. After that, he ran the bath, ingested a handful of Valium from a bottle of Vat 69. Vat 69 is Scotch Whiskey, so that was some strong stuff. He sliced his left wrist and died in the tub. The authorities were happy that he had survived, as they thought that he hadn't. There would be endless discussion about whether Glover was the murderer. John Wayne Glover pleaded not guilty to his charges on the basis of diminished responsibility throughout his trial, which began on March twenty eighth, nineteen ninety. Glover had built up resentment and aggressiveness against his mother and subsequently his mother in law, who was reported to trigger him, according to a psychiatrist. How you let how you let two old women trigger you? Like, why you ain't go see a therapist? Why you ain't go hit oh, okay. Let me let me not say that because 1980s time difference the t- therapy probably wasn't looked at well but I, maybe that's, that'd be that's the us i don't know how it was in australia i don't know if therapy was a thing at that time in australia but um yeah that you can't no i'm sorry death penalty mm-hmm when she died he had no choice but to vent his rage on someone else so i'm assuming when his mother died he had no choice but to vent his rage on someone else the psychiatrists who investigated the case further stated that this was a very unique instance because mass killings are rare and most of the murderers are mentally sick or suffer from a brain ail- ailment that motherfucker was sick okay he is mentally sick He is sick. Should he go to jail? Yes. Don't send him to a psych ward. Send his ass to jail. Okay. Glover was sane at the time of the murders, according to his according to this psychiatrist. He couldn't have been sane. That's an insane. That's some insane shit. Okay. Glover was fully aware of his acts, according to the crown prosecutor. He was plotting what to do with the victims' money as he was. As he was killing them and he also took the time to clean the hammer with acid Glover was sterile and uninterested in sex so the reason he tied the pantyhose around his victims neck so tightly was to make sure they were dead while also trying to fool the cops into thinking it was the work of a sexually driven killer okay Quagmire Glover was addicted to poker machines and stealing was the quickest way for him to earn more money The presiding judge remarked after the guilty judgment was read that he was dealing with an exceedingly dangerous prisoner. So this is what the judge says. He has the ability to decide when to attack and when to keep his hands still. He is astute and adept at eluding detection. He has obviously chosen his moments with care. Despite the fact that his crimes have been opportunistic, he has avoided situations where the risks were too great. Since January 1989 there has been a surge in major crime including excessive violence against older women as well as theft or robbery of their belongings in any case the prisoner has demonstrated himself to be an extremely dangerous individual as evidenced by the foundings of the psychiatrist who testify at his trial i have no choice but to impose the harshest punishment permissible which means the prisoner will be forced to spend the rest of his natural life in prison it is incorrect to state a date for parole release in light of those life sentences it seems unlikely that the prisoner will ever be released on this court's order he will never be set free so the judge said that the judge said we finna lock your ass so okay you ain't going nowhere i don't know what you think this is but um you is done you done okay so, Glover was detained at Lithgow Prison, where he was housed in a high-security cell. He was placed on suicide watch in May 2005 after collapsing in his cell and telling prison staff, I had enough. I want to kill myself. Oh, whatever. A mental health review team evaluated him in closed-circuit television, or CCTV, was used to keep an eye on him. He was also subjected to medical exams as a result of the two cancer surgeries he had undergone the year before. (sighs) Glover was found dead in his Litgo maximum security prison cell on September 10, 2005 and pronounced dead at 1.25pm. The 72-year-old serial killer hung himself, according according to reports, so before 1989, He was just this 56-year-old man, and there was no evidence that Glover killed anyone. At that point, he had been married for 20 years and had children, and his wife was not aware of his previous transgressions. Glover acknowledged the killings when confronted with police evidence. He denied being involved in previous murders in which he was a suspect, including the 1979 slaying of Florence Broadhurst at her Paddington home. Glover confessed a few years after his Conviction that he had no Idea who his victims were or why He killed them he expressed his Desire to stop killing but was unable To do so after each Murder he just seemed to go back to his Old routine so he pretty much Just killed them Like it's like he probably went into a state of Shock where like he blacked out when he saw old lady He just blacked out and did what His subconscious Told him to do which is Hurt his mom and um i think it's i think it's fucked up and i don't i'm glad they locked his ass up and i'm glad that the women the older women were able to get their justice so um am i sad that he hung himself hell yeah because i still wanted his ass to to Die of natural. Like, I wanted him to live his life in jail. I, he took the easy way. He took the 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 the, bad, the worst way out. Like I, anybody who kills himself after doing something wrong is is not a good like. You're I, I can't say the word because my parents listening. But you to pee you you not pee you not pee or I don't want to say not pee because the word that I'm trying to use is not that. But um yeah like you're a coward coward. So yeah. Okay, now it's time for the Reddit stories. Um so this Reddit story is about the um I'm sure you guys heard uh, the Mandela effect, of course, but this guy kind of described it as like the gl- a glitch in the matrix. So like this is from Reddit user suitable editor eight nine five three. And he says, this is a glitch in the matrix or a Mandela effect story. He says, so when I was younger, I had two of my aunts come into the country and staying with us over the summer. Can't remember what year it was. And they were happy to be here. And I remember them teaching me how to play Parchessi. And after some time, one of them left and the other one stayed a while longer. So then I believe a year or so later, I go out of the country and I'm there for a while. As I'm visiting some cousins, my aunts are with me, and we are all having a good time, and we decide to play board games. The games are going, and we are playing shoots and ladders, checkers, any games you think. Then we decide to play Parchesi. The games are going, and after a while, I'm winning, and one of my aunts says something along the lines of, Hey, you're pretty good. Who taught you to play so well? I smile and glance at her and say, You taught me when you came that one time to the United States. The the room gets quiet, and they go on to tell me it couldn't have been her. They'd never been there before. I assured them they did, and to this day, apparently that never happened. I can't say it was a dream, because I'm talking like the span of a month. That's impossible. I can't recall any significant events on TV since it was summer vacation, and everything was just reruns, and I never watched sports, so I don't know. Key things I remember was I did never I never did see their room in the basement. I just never went down there and I don't really remember leaving the house. Has anything like this ever happened to anyone else? I don't know if this is a glitch in the matrix as the group I checked out as the group I checked out the rules and said this story did qualify as it was before the age of sixteen and I don't really have evidence except for knowledge of a game that seems no one has taught me, so I figured this sub would be okay. So I've I've I like been on t- so I've been on TikTok lately, and I've seen people talk about having a glitch in the matrix type thing. And I remember seeing like this one story where this girl said she she was at home with her friend, and she ordered like some food, and the food place is like ten minutes around the corner from where she lives. So she took like. Uh, The food, they said the food would have been ready in like 15 minutes. So she took five minutes to like get ready. And then the next 10 minutes to like, you know, go, go pick it up. And so she goes to get the food. And then like her friends calling her like, Hey, where are you? And she's like, Oh, you know, I went to go get the food. And she was like, girl, you've been gone for three hours. Where you been? And so she's like, all she said, all she did was just go back, just go to the restaurant and come back. And like I said, it was 10 minutes away, but it literally took her three hours. So I guess that's like one of those glitch in the matrix things. I've never experienced that before. Or maybe I have. And I didn't realize it because it's like, damn, like, damn, like it's 12.01 and then I blink and it's like one o'clock, like damn where the last 58, 59 minutes go, you know? But that's a good one, you know? If you had a glitch in the matrix, you know, feel free to talk about the discussion. Oh, yes, you guys, you guys, if you have um, Spotify, be sure to do the poll. Be sure to do the poll. Engage. Like, I want to be able to talk about it. Also, um, I'm going to open up, like, a discussion on Anchor. Anchor FM, I can, like, create a discussion board where we all can talk about these things. Like, I want to be able to engage with my listeners. If you're listening, You know, go to my Instagram at some scary shit pod, no I and shit, and then click the link in the bio and go to anchor.com and be sure to type into the discussion board and let's talk, let's chat, you know? I do want to take this time out to read one of the reviews that um, a listener has left. Uh, Her name is Ramona Lafleur, and the title of her uh, review says, this some funny shit. Thank you because I honestly don't think I'm funny. But, um, I just really be, it's just me. Like, I don't be trying to be funny, you know? Anyway, she says, she gave me five stars. I love the comedic aspect to the podcast. You bring a fresh and funny take to otherwise somber and scary topics. Each week, I look forward to the episode drop. And that intro is banging. Listen, I want to thank my line sister, Angel, for the idea to my intro. Because she was the one who gave me the idea and without her idea like that girl is fucking brilliant okay i love angel so angel if you are listening to this yes i'm shouting you out on this podcast okay if you are listening please be sure to rate the podcast five stars because you know i be trying out here be sure to leave your honest opinion about the show if you have any um stories that you want me to cover or if you have your own paranormal or weirded out stories that you want to share and want me to read on the podcast be sure to email me at ts3pod at gmail.com also be sure to follow us on instagram facebook instagram and twitter at some scary shit pod no Eye and shit be sure to click the link in our Instagram or my Instagram bio, the Linktree link. Um, there, you can see the link to where all the po- where the podcast is broadcasted at, or where it's going to be played at. And also, you can buy me a coffee. That's right. The link on all of my social media pages, the ver- on the Linktree, the top of the link has the buy me a coffee. I am starting a tech fund, so I'm trying to raise some funds in order to get better equipment, better software, just so I, and better content on the social media pages, so that way I can have you, the listeners well engaged into the show, into the podcast. So if you got a dollar, buy me a coffee. I'm in Korea, coffee cheap out here anyway, you know? But anyway, that's all for this week's episode of This Some Scary Shit. I'm your host, Donnie Kay. I'm out. Bye.